Well, good morning. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Craig Allen, and I'm the worship pastor uh, at Redemption Hill Church at the Whittier Hills campus. Been there the last 10 years, and it's a real delight. Hey, hey, all right. Yeah, yeah, real, uh, real delight to be here today. Dennis asked me to come and speak this morning, and I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here, really excited to be here among you. Uh, I am just very encouraged of what I see here, what I experience here, what God is doing here, obviously, through you. Uh, this, is, this is way cool to see. Um, I'm, I'm very excited for, for the band. Th- these guys, uh, Joe, Tom, Paul, Scott, uh, been with me since I've been, since I've been here the last 10 years, and, and so encouraging to be able to send them off, to launch them off, and say, hey, you guys go after that. And I, I just can't imagine uh, anyone better to send to head up the, the helm here than, than Joe. So uh, just really grateful for him. Um, I... Um, I'm part of the preaching team as well at, uh, at Whittier Hills, and it's just uh, fun, to, fun to be here. Today is a, is a special day in the life of the church. This is called Pentecost Sunday. Have you heard of that before? Can, can you say, Happy Pentecost, all right? Happy Pentecost. Yeah, this is, this is really the most important Sunday of the year after Easter and Christmas. There's, there's the birth of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas, the uh, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate at Easter, and this is the birthday of the church. Happy birthday, church. Happy birthday to you as part of our church. Uh, this is when the Holy Spirit came down in power and in influence in Jerusalem, uh, and we're going to be looking at that a little bit more today, but it changed the meaning of the word Pentecost uh, forever. The word Pentecost means, means 50. Uh, we can think of 50 days. 50 days ago, we were celebrating Good Friday and Easter. About 50 days from now, we're going to be sending kids back to school. Are you ready for that? Um, 50 as in seven weeks plus a day, particularly 50 days after the Feast of Passover, and it was the particular Passover in which Jesus was crucified that, uh, that we take that, that word Pentecost. That's the one that we're celebrating. That's the one that changed everything. Um, in my life, there was something that changed everything about 19 years ago. Lisa and I were going for our ultrasound. Back then, you got one shot at it, and uh, now they do it every three weeks, I think. But uh, back then, we were about four months along, and we're going to go see our, our, our finger-sized baby in the womb, and we're so excited until we saw the screen, and there was a problem because there were, there were two, and uh, is this, is this going to work or? There we go. Um, there, there were two in there, and so we had children in stereo, and it just completely changed our world, and now we've got another life change. This is Sonora High School. This is where my kids have been going the last four years, and this week, uh, they're going to be graduating, and this is, this is them now. This is our family now. But uh, we're at this point of transition where we're going to be launching out our children. And there's this, uh, this parallel there of, you know, the Holy Spirit coming, transforming, changing, completely changing everything. And the time that He's launching out in ministry, we're going to be kind of looking at, looking at that today. But I want to share just a little bit more of, uh, about, about my life um, as we think of the, the coming of the dove, coming of the Holy Spirit like a dove there. Um, like, like many of you in this room, I received Christ as a young child. I prayed to receive Christ and needed forgiveness of my sins. I understood that Jesus was going to come as my Savior, and so I, I prayed for that. Um, 
I was taught to obey God. I was taught to read His Word, the Bible. I was taught to honor Jesus with my life. And that was the main thing that I, that I was uh, focusing on as a young believer. I worshiped God in two persons, the Father and the Son, the Father who created everything, the Son who redeemed me, who rescued me, who forgave my sins. It wasn't until high school that I had really even heard much of anything about the Holy Spirit. Um, and to be honest, most of what I heard about the Holy Spirit was negative, was critical, was suspicious. Um, I went to Bible college and I was taught what is called cessationism, meaning the ceasing. It was as if, as if the, the power and the workings of the Holy Spirit ceased at the time of the apostles, after the time of the apostles, some 1900 plus years ago, as if the miraculous powers only belonged to them and died out when they died. So all of my early influences about the Holy Spirit and His powerful workings were always shrouded in suspicion. Along the way, though, I came to know individuals who would have a vibrancy when they would talk about the Holy Spirit, and they would talk about how He had transformed their time in the Word, how He was present in their worship and made Jesus seem more tangible, more near, more real. And I began to hear as I uh, grew and, and got in different circles of people how, how people had testimonies of God's power at work in their lives, breaking through strongholds, healing, sometimes bringing people uh, out, of, out of oppression from demons and, and things that, that seemed to be really miraculous and uh, beyond my experience, um, things uh, such as guiding their lives in decision-making, speaking prophetic words into their lives, ministering with power and with effectiveness, things that seemed to be beyond um, a lot of what I had experienced. In my 20s and 30s, I was on staff at cessationist churches where uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit was not, was not emphasized. And um, so I began to, I don't know, be subversive, I guess, reading books, uh, checking things eventually as the internet came online, uh, trying to discover what's going on outside of my circles. Um, I read books about the Holy Spirit, His power, His giftings, uh, healings. Uh, things that I didn't have categories for, and particularly the, the drawing close to Jesus. And there came a point where I could no longer call myself comfortably a, a cessationist. Um, I uh, became convinced that the Holy Spirit does work in power today, that uh, most of the gifts that are described in Scripture are uh, still available today in some form or another. Um, and recognizing that while God has particular times that He breaks through in powerful and extraordinary ways, there's still other times that God desires to break through in our lives in more ordinary ways and more routine times. Um, I have, I, I've had these questions, you know, how does God work today and for what purposes? I have a few of my own experiences that I, I have not shared very frequently, um, and I'm not sure why, but uh, as I was thinking about today, I thought it might be worth sharing these. Um, I've experienced God's healing power on my sister. Um, when I was 12 years old, I had a sister that was almost two. I've shared this once at Whittier Hills, but um, she was dying from leukemia, childhood form of leukemia at the time. 
she was under extreme um, uh, chemotherapy, and doctors were throwing everything at her. Uh, but she came to the end of her treatment, and her body was completely ravaged, absolutely overrun with what they call the blast cells, these, these leukemia cells. And the doctors were having us prepare for her funeral. So as a family, we're talking about when we're going to have her funeral, who's going to speak, what the details are going to be. And uh, we had, the doctors had given up on the treatment, and yet we're still praying, praying that God might come through. And within a few days, the spinal tap and the bone marrow test both confirmed there was not a single leukemia cell anymore in her body. It was a 100% eradication. And the doctor said to my parents, we don't understand. We know that our treatment has failed, but your prayers have been answered. And as a 12-year-old boy, that marked me. God does answer prayers. God sometimes does heal. And uh, that was an extraordinary marker earlier, uh, early in my life. 36, late, 36 years later, she is still 100% cured from that. Um, on three occasions, I've been in scenarios where, where people have spoken into my heart, into my life, that I couldn't explain it any other way except to say that God had spoken through them. Uh, two occasions were at events that I went to. One was in Vancouver, Washington. One was uh, here in Southern California. Times when I went up for prayer and, and I had deep needs, deep hurts in my heart uh, that I did not share verbally. And the prayer would grab my arms and uh, pray silently and ask for God to reveal uh, what was needed. And in both occasions, speak directly to the issues in my heart that I had not voiced to them and sensed the direct word of the Lord to my circumstances in an extraordinary, powerful way. Um, the third time was um, in Colorado. I was at a crossroads in my current ministry. I was actually visiting another church that I was desiring to apply at. I wanted to meet with the pastor there. I uh, wanted to get to know him a little bit better, enjoyed his preaching ministry. They were looking for a worship pastor. I thought, I'll, I'll make an appointment with him. And as I'm walking down the hall toward his office, there's a woman there that she comes around the corner and she's, oh, you, you, you're, you're, and she didn't know my name. Uh, I said, I'm, I'm Craig. She said, yes, but you're the worship pastor at, and she said the name of my church. And, and you are, and it turns out she's on staff there, and she was part of their prophetic ministry, and she had visited our church just a couple weeks ago, and she was very taken with our worship time, and she said, I was at your church a couple weeks ago, I've been praying for you every day since then, and just a few days ago, I feel like God gave me a prophetic message for you, and... I've been wondering, how am I ever going to see you? How am I going to get this message to you? And, 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 and you're here. Um, and so she, she thought for a moment. She said, I want, to, I want to get this right. And she prayed, and then she told me, and she said, in, in essence, God is bringing you to an end of your current ministry, but be encouraged because he has plans for you, and they're good plans, and there's going to be joy and fruitfulness in your next ministry. That's what, that's what the Lord told me. And then she said, I, um, I don't know if that's going to be here or somewhere else, but be encouraged. And, and that's it. Uh, see if God confirms that. 
I've never spoken to this woman. She had no idea that I actually was ready to resign my ministry. I was in the process of applying to several churches. Uh, that was one that I was going to be applying for. And within a few months, God brought me to Whittier Hills, and it has been a, a very, very fruitful season. Um, I, um, I share these things um, as someone who is trying to grow in these areas of understanding the power of the Spirit, understanding the nearness of the Spirit, understanding the immediacy of the Spirit, understanding uh, what this Pentecost thing is, is all about, about the presence and the power of God coming near to us. This is not territory that I feel like I'm good at, not territory that I feel like I'm any kind of expert at. I feel like there have been times in my life that I have resisted it and tried to keep it at a distance. And yet a time in life where I sense that the church needs to embrace the Holy Spirit and personally that I need to embrace the Holy Spirit uh, in our worship, as we're going to see today most acutely, in our outreach, in our evangelism. Um, so when we come together like this, we want to be assured, we want to know God is here with us. God has come. He is in this place. He is among us. Um, God desires to minister among a worshiping congregation that's obedient to his word, that's seeking him in truth. Uh, we make up a temple where God reigns. He animates our praise as we respond to him. He reveals his heart to us. And increasingly, I'm asking the Spirit of God to make me more attentive to him as I'm trying to lead our people in worship and trying to lead our people in the Word. Uh, so Dennis has asked me to come here today and to share a bit of a theology of the Holy Spirit as is presented in Acts. Uh, it's way too huge a topic for, uh, for one day, but I aim to highlight just a few things uh, that we can learn about the Holy Spirit, particularly as he's presented in the first 16 chapters of Acts, okay? So just over the first half of the book of Acts that we've been in, we've been tracking uh, all three campuses, have been working through the same territory, the same narrative, the same story, and so we're going to be kind of honing in on what are some of the theological things, what, what are some of the truths of the Holy Spirit that we can, um, can recognize? And uh, let me get your help here. Uh, there we go. Great. So I'm going to frame this around three questions today. So three questions. And if, if you're a note writer, this would be the things to write down. Uh, who is the Holy Spirit? Question one. Question two, why did God send the Holy Spirit? And question three, how can we participate with the Holy Spirit? I want to tackle that first one right now, uh, the question of who is the Holy Spirit. And um, yeah, this is not working. So I'm going to just need, need your eyes there probably. Thanks, thanks so much. Um, so you can just write this down right now. He is the presence and power of God in us as believers. Um, there, there are a number of Old Testament prophecies, particularly in, in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, in Joel, that talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit who's going to indwell people, who's going to transform people's hearts. And the interesting thing is, as we come to to Acts chapter 2 and Peter in his amazing sermon where 3,000 people are saved, that, that Pentecost sermon, he acknowledges this is the fulfillment of those prophecies. Uh, today, these prophecies are being fulfilled in your midst, he says. 
In the book of John, when Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples, he's preparing them, having a long conversation with them um, before, before he leaves. He's telling them that he's going to leave, but he says, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to send to you the comforter, the divine counselor. I'm going to send to you the Spirit of God who will not just be with you like I have been with you. He will actually be in you. And the apostles are quite startled at that because they can't imagine that. And he's trying to explain to them that actually this will be better for you. And you can imagine that being a little bit mind-boggling for them. Imagine if your spouse said to you, really, I'm going to go away physically, and that's going to be better for you, better for our relationship if I'm away physically. For, you know, that's the burden of proof. That's the challenge that Jesus is trying to say, and the apostles are having a hard time getting their, their, their heads and their arms around this. But Jesus is saying, yes, it's going to be better for you when the Spirit of God is in you. Um, he is God the Spirit. He is the Spirit of Christ. He takes residence in us personally, individually, when we receive Christ. One place um, in Acts where the triune God is revealed clearly is by Stephen when he was being stoned to death. You might remember the story in chapter 7. So Stephen, who has the indwelling Spirit of God, uh, is given a vision where heaven is opened up to him, and while having the Spirit, he's seeing the person of Jesus Christ next to the Father. And uh, so, yeah, so we've got this, um, this he, full, he being Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So we've got three divine persons, yet one God. So we see that the Holy Spirit, He's the third person of the Trinity, or I like the phrase the tri-unity. One God in unity, three persons in distinction. And uh, think of the math there. Um, it's, not, it's not one plus one plus one equals three, uh, which, which critics try to, to, to say. It's, it's different math. It's one times one times one equals one. Um, that's, uh, the, the best analogy of the Trinity that I'm aware of is thinking of the sun, the S-U-N sun. We get a lot of that here. I didn't get so much of it when I grew up, so I never thought of this analogy until I came to SoCal. But uh, think of the sun. Have you ever tried to look at it? Can you look at the sun directly with your unaided human eye? We can't. And scripture tells us, you know, we, we, cannot, we cannot see the Father uh, we cannot see the Father. So how do we know that the sun is there? Well, there's rays of the sun, isn't there? There's sunshine. There's the sunlight. Jesus has come as the light of the world by which we can see the Father, by which we, he's, he's the perfect representation of the Father. We see the sunlight. There's a sense in which we have seen the sun, and we feel the heat, the warmth of the sun. That's like the Spirit, the tangible expression. We... we God, the Holy Spirit, is the way that we feel, the way that we experience the reality of God. Uh, so I love that, that analogy. Um, we've got one Spirit. He's promised by the Father. He's sent by the Son. He's indwelling in His people. And the Holy Spirit's making the reality of God personal to us, experiential to us. Um, hear the gospel. When we pray to God and we place our faith in Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit comes to us. He's God in us. He's God present 
in us. He's the power of God within us to do his work through us. We put this together in short. Um, who is the Holy Spirit? He's the presence and power of God in us. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Next chapter 2, the story of Pentecost is presented so dramatically. Uh, the Holy Spirit, he makes his appearance. Um, there's a sound that is said to come from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. Everything is described in, in analogies. It's, it's as if uh, the sound of the wind fills the entire room where, where 120 believers have gathered for prayer, about as many people as we have today here perhaps. It's accompanied by, by what looks like fires. If there's, there's a fire of God that has come and then it's dividing and it's resting on each person who's there in the room, as if it's tongues of fire. But what's more important than what's described and as, as being seen and heard is what actually happens. And it says here, um, they're being filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This cacophony c catches the attention of, of devout people from all over the, the known world is, is the description that we have there uh, in, in Acts chapter 2. They're descending upon Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles, and, and this, this loud noise as they're pouring out, into, uh, out outside into the public, uh, public square there, there's hundreds and then uh, perhaps an uncountable number of people who have come there for this feast, they've come from every direction, east, west, north, and south, centering in Jerusalem where God is starting his work, his, his initial work of pouring out the Holy Spirit on them. They're from 15 nations that Luke describes there, different people groups, Jews, Cretans, Arabians. Uh, they're all hearing the praises of God spoken in their local dialects. And in Acts 1, right before that, there had been two different prophecies of this event within a few verses that Luke records. One is, um, one is in, uh, in verses 4 to 5, uh, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this experience at Pentecost is the fulfillment of that. So just as baptism by water is the, the first sign of a believer's response of faith uh, to the gospel, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is the first sign from God that His new work of the Spirit has begun. And God is going to start with the believing disciples here in Jerusalem. A few verses later in Acts 1, He gives a second part of the prophecy. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Um, so in this promise, the coming of the Holy Spirit is marked by power and in some sense of the Spirit of God coming upon them. So this raises question two for today of um, why did Jesus send the Holy Spirit? What was his reason for that? And we want to take a look at this. Um, we're going to overview the Spirit's activity here in Acts chapter, chapters 1 through 16. And in just a moment, I'm going to have um, a chart up there, and it's too much data to read. The point isn't to read all of the data. I just want you to see it, okay? You're going to see that there's a column with Scripture verses, there's, there's, and then there's a big column with what's happening, the story, the narrative, and then there's um, the column of what the Holy Spirit was doing. So... Um, I spent an entire day on this. It was a very fruitful exercise for me to 
look at what's the storyline, what's the dramatic narrative that's going on in the first 16 chapters of Acts, basically what's happening, all of these things that have been preached about for the last number of months, to raise this question, what's the Holy Spirit doing? And to see what kind of a role the Holy Spirit has in all this activity. Well, um, this is kind of hard to read with the... uh, the, with what's going on there, but you see some things, uh, people are getting saved, people are speaking with boldness, uh, Holy Spirit's witnessing uh, to the gospel of Jesus uh, while all of these things are happening. We can just keep going there. Um, the uh, power of the Holy Spirit is working in apostles, working in non-apostles. Uh, the Spirit is following up with direct guidance uh, of meeting a particular man on a specific chariot who needs a particular message. Um, when healings are happening, the power of the Holy Spirit is behind that healing. There's, there's visions going on. There's laying of hands going on. Spirit falling on uh, different people. What, what was poured out on the Jews in Jerusalem has now gone to Samaria and then has gone to different Gentile nations in fulfillment of the promise that the gospel was going to go out first in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's happening here um, as we go through the narrative. And we get the next one there. Um, now, Barnabas is full of the Spirit. Agabus is giving a prophecy. Uh, various prophets are ministering under the power of the Holy Spirit in Antioch, uh, in Iconium, in Lystra. Um, they're speaking boldly. Signs and wonders are happening, accompanying the bold witnessing. This goes on and on. Here's what's significant. In 16 chapters, there's only one chapter that doesn't mention the active power of the Holy Spirit. And yet, like the book of Esther, you can still discern that he's working behind the scenes. Every scene, it's as if the Holy Spirit is the prime character. We call this the book of Acts. Some people have called it traditionally the Acts of the Apostles. Really, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the early church. And of... uh, Now, let me come back to that. Um, The... um, the entirety of this seems to be that the Holy Spirit is acting. He's showing up. He's displaying His power through the early church. So as we look at that question, um, why did Jesus send the Holy Spirit? In Acts, it was to empower them for effective ministry. As we try to apply it to us today, it's to empower us for effective ministry. Do we need power for effective ministry? Are we currently experiencing God's effectiveness through us. Um, That's what God has come for. What if God never sent the Holy Spirit to empower the apostles? You know what? The book of Acts would be very short. Uh, These last 16 chapters could have been taught on one Sunday. Uh, Look at this. This is... uh, These... uh, These are the only passages, there's a passage in chapter 4, a few verses in chapter 8, a few verses in chapter 9, jump to chapter 12, uh, much of 15, a few verses in chapter 16. Those are the only segments in all of those chapters that are not overtly talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, It wouldn't be that much of a story, it'd be just disconnected episodes. But to make this real personal, um, what would we have? if the Holy Spirit was removed from our lives? What, if, what would we have if the Holy Spirit was removed from our family, removed from our church, removed from this campus? I think what would my life be like as Craig Allen without the Spirit? 
when I think, what if the Spirit of God weren't in my life? I don't think I would have been convicted of sin, so I don't think I would have recognized my need for a Savior, so I don't think I would have responded to Jesus. Um, I don't think I would have been prompted to pray for friends that I cared about, their eternal destiny. I don't think I'd have had the boldness or the courage to start conversations with them, to share Christ with them. I don't think I'd have had the faith to have prayed for my sister to be healed. Without the Holy Spirit, I don't think I would have had the spiritual discernment to confirm the wisdom of marrying my wife, Lisa. I don't think I would have experienced the nearness of God in worship. I certainly wouldn't be in worship ministry. Um, how would your life be different without the Holy Spirit? What has transpired in your life that is only because of the internal presence and power of the Holy Spirit? Why did Jesus send the Spirit? Um, it's to empower us for effective ministry. Um, we might have lost that, but uh, do you hunger to be used by God in ministry? I'm not talking showing up for church on a Sunday. Do you hunger to be used by God in ministry, to have the presence of God with you, to have the power of God working through you? When you think of your life's goals, your callings, your purposes, do you find yourself praying, oh God, would you fill me with your spirit that you might have full reign to work in me and through me to accomplish your purposes? Have we learned to pray like that? I detailed all of the different ministries of the Holy Spirit that I could find in those 16 chapters. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these. There's 30 of them. I'm going to read them fast. But uh, I think it's worth drawing attention. These come, these come out of just those 16 chapters. Uh, these are the things that the Holy Spirit did in the book of Acts. So prophecies and fulfills prior prophecies. He comes upon people in audible and visible demonstrations, uh, attesting to the gospel as the work of God. He causes people to see visions and have dreams. He causes people to respond to the preached gospel. He fills and refills believers with wisdom and the ability to preach boldly. Witnesses to the gospel of Jesus by coming upon those who respond. Uh, to be full of the Holy Spirit, um, there we go, uh, becomes a requirement for spiritual responsibility. There's ministry to widows and administering of, administrating of serving ministries that the Holy Spirit guides. He gives a heavenly vision. He sustains faith even to the point of martyrdom. He grants unassailable wisdom. He convicts of sin and he tells the truth. He fills believers so that they might see Jesus. He empowers non-apostles to perform miracles, preach boldly, and cause conversions. He falls on Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles in the same way. He directs evangelists where to go, who to meet, and who to witness to. He empowers the apostles to raise, some, to, to raise someone from the dead. He inspires praise and worship. He fills people with faith and wisdom. He foretells events, in this case a coming famine. He speaks he sets people apart to send them out on ministry ventures. He breaks demonic strongholds so people can respond to the gospel. He fills believers with joy. He brings clarity and effectiveness to ministry and safety, even in persecution. 
He guides the appointing of elders. He guides and affirms decision-making among spiritual leaders. He directs our plans and subverts our misdirected plans. He guides and superintends events from behind the scenes. Thirty things that the Holy Spirit did there. Was there at least one of those that you would long to see the Holy Spirit do in your life? Perhaps two or three of those that God might bless us in working in our church today? Is there anything in there that you resonate with? You desire the power of, of God to come in, to shake things up, to change, to bless. What catches me here is that of those 30 things, over half of them are in one specific topic. Over half of them are about emboldening their faith for effective witness. Um, I want to say personally here, we miss you at Whittier Hills. Um, I don't know all of you. Those of you that I know personally, I miss you at Whittier Hills. I miss seeing you. I miss having side conversations. Um, I miss what you bring to our worship, to our ministries. I see the holes. I see the, the, some of the empty seats. And... Um, you are missed, which raises the question, why did you leave? I know why you were sent. You were sent for one reason. You were sent so that we might have a more effective gospel presence here in La Habra. You were sent so that we might reach more people with the message of the gospel. Is that why you were here? We didn't send you for a different preacher, for a different worship leader. We didn't send you so that you get these, these cool rising seats. Man, I love that. We didn't send you so that you get to see lockers. Uh, we didn't send you so that kids get to meet in hot classrooms. We, we didn't send you so that you can do this wonderful setup and tear down every week. You know, those are the costs of doing ministry. The reason that we sent you was to be effective, to be bold in witness. So let me ask, individually, are you bold in witness? Are you effective in evangelism? Are you reaching people for Jesus? That's why we sent you. That is why you are here. If not, come on back, all right? But that's why you're here. Um, there's, there's, one, there's one reason, the singular reason, that the La Habra campus exists is for effective witness here in La Habra. Um, it's question three. How can we participate with the Holy Spirit? We want to be used. We want God's power to be effective in us, to be effective through us. How can we make that happen? How can we avail ourselves of that? How can we invite God's presence and power? There is an aspect of this that we have really no say in. That's the wonderful aspect of the sovereignty of God. God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases, right? God made a determination that there was going to be a particular year of Pentecost, that he was going to send his spirit to begin the church. That was God's sovereign work, his, his divine choice, his particular timing. And yet there is another aspect that God will choose often to work through those who are available to him, those who make themselves available, those who want to partner, those who say, God, use me. I am available for you. How do we, 
become those people? How do we avail ourselves of that? Um, how do we become partners for use? I want to say that, that I think Acts give us, gives us an answer. Um, it's through prayer, um, primarily. I mentioned that there's, there's 30 things that the Holy Spirit is doing, different ministries in those 16 chapters. Do you know that in 12 occasions, before the Holy Spirit shows up, it's preceded by intentional times of gathered prayer. Over and over, all these references here, the Holy Spirit shows up in power, and you look right before that, and there's people gathered for prayer. Coincidence? If we want the Holy Spirit to show up in power, to transform our witness for effectiveness of the gospel going out, boy, we've got a structure for prayer. And not the quiet time of individual prayer. That has a place. That has a different devotional place. But I don't see that in Acts. I don't see uh, Paul talking about his personal prayer. What we see is the disciples gathering, them meeting in an upper room, them coming together as a group for a particular agenda, for prayer. I am so, um, so encouraged that Dennis has been challenging all of you to be in life groups not as an add-on, but as the primary uh, conduit through which ministry will happen, ministry to one another and ministry outward to the community. And I want us to, to, to grasp this, the seriousness of this. If the reason we're meeting for life groups beyond ourselves is to be effective in reaching the community, and we see here from Acts that the way that, we, that the Holy Spirit comes and works through us effectively for ministry is to be involved in intentional prayer. Should that impact how we pray, how we gather to pray in life groups? Do we come and have patterns, perhaps, of talking horizontally to one another during the time devoted for prayer? Do we sometimes run out of time because we've spent so much time talking to one another that well, let's try to remember to pray during the week for one another. Or do we come together and discipline ourselves to say, this is the highest and holiest, most strategic time we have. Let's get on our knees. Let's pray for boldness. Let's pray for strategic opportunities for the gospel to go forth. Let's pray for people that God will bring to mind that he's already working on their hearts. Let's pray that God will, will give us his wisdom on how to break through to people are we praying against demonic powers and forces that have holds on people like Paul did so that the gospel might be received? Are we praying in a way that the Holy Spirit will come and break through and empower, empower us uh, for His purposes? The, uh, you know, I think if if we're going to not merely meet for fellowship, we want to enjoy fellowship. But if we want to be the means by which God helps us break through to different cultures, different languages, different people groups that are here in La Habra, is that not going to transform our prayers? And can you imagine the adventure the awesomeness of praying in such a way 
that we have a boldness and a courageousness to share, and we see God infuse that with his power, and we see people come to Christ, and we see God doing things that at the end of it, all we can say is, this had to be the Spirit of God. We can't explain it any other way. Would that be worth it? Would that be worth it? The, uh, the last part of that I mentioned is we can participate with the Holy Spirit with prayer and through embrace. Um, the Holy Spirit comes to those who are hungry for Him. The Holy Spirit comes, I think, to those who are tired of life as it is, desperate for things to change, eager to see the power of God. Life is too short. Do we really just want to retire someday? Or do we really want to be on the adventurous ride of the Holy Spirit working powerfully through us? We want to embrace Him. We want to welcome Him. We want to invite Him. We want to yield to Him. I'm going to call Joe and the team up. And as we worship, this is an opportunity to participate with the Holy Spirit, an opportunity to pray, to praise, to embrace His power, His nearness, His presence. God is with us. It's an opportunity to acknowledge that. Let's, uh, let me just lead us in prayer. Father God, you have promised the Spirit. Jesus sent him. Father, help us to embrace him. Help us to invite him. Help us to acknowledge the presence of God here with us. Would you delight in working powerfully through us, bringing us to a radical, bold effectiveness for the gospel? that you would be honored, you would be glorified, and we would know that the Spirit of God is with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.